This is the John Oakley Show podcast. And one such topic is uh, how many people's viewing habits have maybe been altered or augmented during this pandemic. I know mine have, spending an inordinate amount of time dialing into Netflix and the, uh, I guess, the seventh and eighth installments of uh, The Last Dance, the story of Michael Jordan and the Bulls in that uh, final season when they won their second three-peat, 78, what am I saying, Uh, 98. 97.98 97.98 is on tonight. It drops again tonight in Canada, that is. Uh, the story of Netflix in and of itself is a fascinating one by all accounts. And the author of Netflix, The Epic Battle for America's Eyeballs, Gina Keating, has joined us on the line in the St. Louis area. Gina, it's good to have you on the Oakley Show in Toronto. Good afternoon. Well, it's lovely to be here. You're, I hope you're keeping well, watching a lot of Netflix, I'm sure. Gina, let me ask you, I, I understand you've got a new documentary out uh, called Netflix versus the World. Uh, that's an interesting title, provocative. I mean, they've seemingly won the battle, if I've got it right. I mean, in my own sort of domain, I guess Netflix is, you know, preeminent amongst all the other streaming services. Who do you mean specifically uh, Netflix versus the World? Uh, Well, the documentary starts with Netflix, the beginnings of Netflix. And um, so, you know, they've had three different uh, technology revolutions that they've led. And in every case, they've gone up against huge players in those spaces. You know, in DVD rental, um, they had to go up against Blockbuster and all of the store chains. Then they went uh, up against uh, the studios and the cable companies over distribution with streaming, and now they're going up against the studios in Hollywood and around the world uh, to create content. So they just don't stop. You know, they've um, and now and now the studios are bringing, uh, doing their own streaming services that will come back and attack Netflix. So it's just a constant battle for them, and and that's what we really wanted to talk about was how this tiny company that was initially led by these dreamers who we interviewed um, just changed everything about the way uh, we watch entertainment, how we even think about it and how it gets made. Well, in those three iterations or challenges that you cite, uh, what is the value proposition that carried them across the goal line and uh, left their competitors in the dust, or at least they beat them at their game? Uh, Is there one constant in all of that? Yes, it's very clear, and I talk about this in my book, uh, and I talk about it in the documentary, and that is these people were all marketing experts. They were geniuses at marketing, and all of them shared a very common trait, which was they're fascinated with people. They're fascinated by human behavior, and they wanted to program a company around how people really act and what they wanted to do. And they all had enough background in Silicon Valley that they understood what was going to happen when you got fast Internet. So they, the Netflix DVD by, uh, by mail that probably a lot of young people don't even remember, um, that was a transition. And what they were trying to do was, uh, it was attenuate people to, first of all, buying stuff online because they started in 97 when people were scared to put their credit cards online. Um, so they wanted to get people used to the idea of buying stuff and browsing through an online store, which was really unfamiliar, because they knew that if they could dominate that behavior, if they could teach people how to do that, that when the bigger issue of streaming came along, that, that people would be accustomed to going to Netflix. They would feel comfortable. They'd have an emotional attachment. And that's what they did right all the way through all these transitions. 
they created an emotional bond with consumers. And the, the most amazing thing that I found out when I was doing research for the book is that Mark Randolph, who is the co-founder of Netflix and the guy who actually had the idea, is related to Sigmund Freud and to another guy who in the United States was called um, the father of modern PR. His name is Edward Bernays, and he's quite, he was quite famous. So it, that to me was, was so poetically beautiful that this guy who, um, who changed everything uh, about the way that we get entertainment now was, was related to these two um, psychoanalysis pioneers, if you will. It's fascinating that they built the better mousetrap and understood, uh, well, where consumer tastes or technology were taking us. It's kind of quaint, like as you just suggested when you were talking about Blockbuster. Blockbuster was the big Megillah back in the day and uh, with their online video, or they had their stores, a chain of bricks and mortar stores as well. It was an interesting uh, dynamic, though, that led to Netflix uh, beating out Blockbuster because of the way, I guess it was a, a certain confluence or a dynamic that happened because uh, how Blockbuster was structured and who took ownership of Blockbuster. Tell us that story where Netflix really just eclipsed Blockbuster and why. That is such a poignant part of this story. Um, I was, at the time uh, that I thought about writing this book, I was working for Reuters, the international newswire, covering um, those companies, Blockbuster, Netflix, all the Hollywood studios. So I got right up front when this was all happening. And when I later went to the Blockbuster guys and said, you know, I, I'm doing this book and I really want to talk to you about it, I was worried that they would say no because they've just been humiliated. They had horrible press because Blockbuster went bankrupt um, competing with Netflix. And the real behind-the-scenes story about this is, first of all, Blockbuster – came into this battle with a billion dollars of debt on their balance sheet because they were spun off by Viacom. So they were heavily in debt. Um, but at the, same, and the, at the same time, they had about 25% of Blockbuster stores at that time were franchisees. And the franchisees were not excited about the idea of rental going online. I mean, it was inevitable. And John Antiaco, who's in the movie, um, had to convince them that this was for their own good and they really needed to participate in this. And it was it was just terrible. You know, uh, they didn't want to do it. So Blockbuster had those two anchors on it. And yet, in 2007, managed to create a, an online um, competitor to Netflix that nearly put Netflix into bankruptcy. And that was, was super surprising uh, because they didn't have the technological chops and they were not consumer-focused the way that Netflix was. They had to really, really dig deep and figure out what Netflix was doing and copy it. And they did a great job of it, and we talk about that in the movie, about how they were literally, like, spying on each other and copying each other, which was pretty hilarious to hear the stories. Well, the other idea that uh, you cite as well in the book, that there were a, a difference in personalities and styles in the corporate raider Carl Icahn when he took over Blockbuster, that was sort of the beginning of the end. Why is that? Yes. Okay. So this was um, this was really interesting. Um, and it just goes to show you that it, there is that egos, personalities with these with these CEOs are very important sometimes. Uh, Carl Icahn just took a horrible dislike to John Antiaco, the chairman and CEO of Blockbuster. And he felt very disrespected by John Antiaco. He had a lot of his own ideas about what he thought Blockbuster should do. Um, when initially he came into Blockbuster to um, 
to try to reap a profit because Blockbuster was trying to take over the Hollywood video chain and consolidate all the stores. So uh, Carl Icahn thought, oh, great, you know, I'm going to come in, I'll, you know, buy Blockbuster shares, and then when they buy Hollywood video, the price is going to go way up and I'm going to make a great profit for my hedge fund. That didn't happen because the federal uh, United States, um, um, what am I trying to say, officials would not let Blockbuster take over Hollywood video. They thought it was going to be kind of like a monopoly. So they didn't let that transition happen. And Carl Icahn was really angry about it. And he blamed John Antiaco. And he made it very difficult for Antiaco to carry out the things that he wanted to do to transition Blockbuster from a, a store-based uh, company to an online company. And their behind-the-scenes wrangling uh, over John Antiaco's bonus was really what put the nails in the coffin of Blockbuster. Blockbuster had caught Netflix. It was its online business was growing faster. It was taking com, um, it was taking customers away from uh, Netflix, uh, and then John Antiaco ha- got into a huge fight with Carl Icahn over his bonus and decided to leave the company. And the guy that they put in in place in his place had no clue how to run an online business, um, and he started emphasizing the stores and de-emphasizing uh, Blockbuster Online, and Blockbuster went bankrupt as a result of that. And it, it was just a horrible slow death uh, and so ironic and horrible for the people who worked so hard to try to catch Netflix. So we talk about that in the movie as well. Yeah, it's kind of got uh, elements of Greek tragedy in there, egos, personalities, uh, corporate yeah. culture. and uh, It really does. I, I feel bad for them because everywhere they go, people think that they're, you know, that they made the biggest mistake and, you know, that it was all their fault, but that's absolutely not the case. Well, you got to be nimble and change with the times and understand, I guess, technology. Easy for me to say in hindsight, but it looks now like this Leviathan that is Netflix. You know, I'll, I'll, let me ask you as we leave this uh, Netflix, you know, is getting some heat from certain jurisdictions, you know, in Europe, in this country as well, because uh, they're not paying tax and uh, people would like to see more of an investment. I mean, is the business model solid enough or can you see them adapting to some of those considerations from different countries, including Canada, to uh, to play ball and, you know, uh, be taxed accordingly and so on and so forth, you know? One, you know, one would hope that they would do that because um, their success in the coming years is going to rely very heavily on having good relationships with the governments uh, where their company is located. Um, you know, a lot of streaming services are coming up uh, that are going to be able to compete with them directly as soon as they figure out uh, how to do distribution as effectively as Netflix does. So it will come down to content. It will come down to people wanting to work with them and feeling like they're a good citizen, which is one of the reasons that they got ahead in Hollywood was because they really championed the little guy and they looked out for their consumers and they you know, were very focused on lobbying uh, for the ease of use. But if they start getting sideways with governments, there's a lot that uh, that governments can do to regulate them and to make their uh, service uh, less desirable. You know, things uh, having to do with um, broadband speeds and taxes and things like that. So it really behooves them to try to work those things out. So I, I think that the governments have a lot more leverage than uh, than they would think. They can prioritize their local people over Netflix. Uh, and so it's probably in Netflix's interest to um, to play ball. Gina Keating, the author of Netflix, The Epic Battle for America's Eyeballs, and the new documentary is called Netflix versus the World. Where is it available, Gina? 
It's on Amazon Prime, ironically. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll end on that ironic note. I appreciate you joining us from the American Midwest today. Thank you for having me. All the best, yes. Gina Keating. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 